Welcome to Dayton War Cry Club. I'm Warren, and today I'm joined by my co-host Fred and a special guest Dan from the Salty Sea. Today we'll be continuing a little with our talk about Warcry stats and how you might use them to build lists in Warcry 2.0. We'll also have local event coverage as well as news for three upcoming local events in the area. All right, hey guys, how's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be on. I've uh, been listening to you guys for a long time, obviously, but, uh, you know, excited for my first ever appearance. Likewise, uh, in reverse, I'm really uh, glad to have you here. Uh, obviously, when we were first getting started into Warcry, uh, your channel was one of the primary resources that as a group we kind of used to kind of build out our theory. So I'm very excited to have you here on the show. Yeah, it's exciting for me, too, because, you know, for the longest time, you're pretty much the only game or the biggest game in town for Warcry content. And then we started and I had met you at Adepticon earlier this year. And you know, at the time, I was like, OK, the dream, right? I'm living the dream right now. Right. Dude, so do a collab with the Salty Sea. So I don't know what we do after this. <laughs> I think we, we've peaked. I think the only the only way you could achieve sort of greater apotheosis would be if you somehow convinced Rito to rejoin the content game. Absolutely. I think that could do it. Mm -hmm. That would do it. That'd be that'd be the next step. Um, so so we uh, first off, we kind of do a little bit of intro here. Um, we'll be talking about local events uh, and kind of some hobby stuff. We'll be talking a little bit about a follow up from our last video talking about Math Hammer. And then we'll also get into list building guidelines and then upcoming events. But first off, so introductions. So what we do for any guests that we have on who hasn't been on before, um, anyone who's listening to us has probably heard of you already, but you know, kind of just introduce yourself, like your gaming background. Like we know you kind of come, you know, the other games you, you play that kind of shaped your entry into the hobby and stuff like that. Yeah, so I'm Dan. I uh, I came into the sort of Warhamster space um, from Magic the Gathering, where um, I had I was kind of a Johnny at heart in that game, and the game doesn't really give you a ton of avenues for self-expression. Still a great game. I still play a ton of Magic, um, but you know I had tried kind of altering some of my own cards, and that was too hard. And um, eventually decided, you know, maybe I would try out these whole painting miniatures games. Um, it was especially interesting because, you know, Magic, especially in the last five years or so, has kind of struggled to maintain the goodwill of its fans. Some, you know, some, <laughs> some yeah. months you just hate the game, some months you're back in. Um, and so, you know, Warhammer started as like a great outlet for when I was kind of angry at the game or not enjoying magic. And then I just kind of fell in love with skirmish gaming as a concept because I get sick of color schemes um, pretty quick. Uh, about like 800, 900 points into an army, I get sick of the color scheme and don't want to paint it anymore. Uh, but 900 points of an army is like a perfect have every option for Warcry amount, you know? <laughs> um, so so Warcry became this like perfect fit hobby-wise for me. And that's kind of what got me into it. And then um, sort of looking out online, because I like to kind of 
maybe listen to a podcast or watch a YouTube video of the game I'm playing while I'm getting ready to do it. I do this with magic too. When I'm brewing a deck, I listen to a podcast about magic, uh, kind of puts me in the same headspace. And I was just shocked at, you know, there's at the time there were only two content creators making things about Warcry. So I was like, well, um, you know, once I get a few games in, I should just kind of make the kinds of videos that I wished existed when I was painting. And that's how I ended up here. You gave us a lot of like inspiration to, you know, like our early war bands or you know, a lot of the things that we did early on in the game were kind of based on what you did. And again, we're, we're a bunch of uh, semi-retired uh, Legacy Magic players too, so. Yeah, I've been playing Magic for like 28 years and uh, I, this is the most retired I've ever been. But all, all I do all day while I'm working is, is watch Magic videos still. So, you know, yeah. you can never get 100% away from it. Yeah, it's a good game at pulling you back in. Yes, I've, I've sold my complete collection like four times and it's never lasted more than a couple of months before I'm like, I'll just build one deck and have it <laughs> if I ever want to yep. play again. And then it goes from there and et cetera, et cetera. So I was I was chatting with I was chatting with a buddy. Actually, I'm going I'm going to some events for just hangouts um, in the at least once at least next weekend and then maybe even next month as well. You know, just go and cube or whatever. I do love me some cube. Yeah, Warren's collection is truly astonishing. If he sold out, he'd he'd be all right. But uh, mine was never quite that good. But um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Warcry enough about yeah, yeah. Enough about that other game though. We're gonna yes. talk about Warcry. So speaking of Warcry, we got we hadn't done a reaction on the new set. Uh, but yeah, this looks great. It looks uh, really good. It's the one I'm most excited about in a long time, as far as like chaos cultist oriented releases which there's a lot of them <laughs> and like they kind of blend together in a lot of ways but these are two really distinct and interesting looking war bands to me yeah everyone i know wants the lizard men i think so i don't know how this box split's gonna work um i know zach wants them i know joel wants them uh i ran into chad earlier today he wants them and then one of the other local guys greg wants them too so there's not enough boxes to go around. People are, they're probably gonna have to wait for them to get uh, offered separately. I'll do a split of the Zinch guys if you want, because I'm going to get this uh, for both war bands, but I'll only have one of the, of the uh, new Zinch cultists and they're my favorite. So if you've got a bunch of people over there who uh, want Seraphon, I'm definitely looking for a set number two of the Zinch. Ooh, we might be able to work that uh, out. Cause I just think they're so cool. I mean, I think the Zinch guys are very cool too. Yeah, and there's this way where they've they've gone half and half between two different real world cultures that are totally different. Like they've got a lot of like the hoods and the robes of like European warrior monk traditions, but then they've got like a lot of the jade pieces, like the jade masks are an Olmec thing. Like they've got a lot of Meso Mesoamerican stuff in there too. So like flipping them together makes it feel like a fully realized culture without like feeling derivative of either place you know what i mean like it doesn't feel like they just lifted it from one culture the way i don't know like Ideneth are kind of lifted from athenian greeks or something you know where yeah yeah and not not only that because I, I agree with you that they're 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 striking and distinctive but they're also not just a bunch of 
shirtless barbarians again, which we have so many <laughs> for. Yep, yep. Like, if you want, like, your Conan-type wasteland warriors, you have, like, a thousand different models to choose from, and it's cool to do something very different than that um, for a Chaos Cultist band. Like, even, like, the Spiders guys are still, like, you know... They have like tridents and nets and whatever, and they're a little different. But these guys are are, are straying really far from that formula, and I, I'm really excited about it. The skinks are really cool too, though. Yeah, and then Not- train wise, it's brown wastes again. I th- was chatting <laughs> earlier, so I think there's a lot. There's some sprues reused, um, maybe some new sprues, maybe using a different configuration. But I don't have this terrain yet, and we'll be doing this a, a jungle mat in the paint scheme of of uh, Zach's terrain so we'll make yeah. the, we'll make this a jungle or a swamp and it'll be it'll be sweet looking yeah it's a little more green which again you we have a lot of shirtless barbarians and we have a lot of brown wastes for them to fight on like <laughs> something a little different every once in a while is is okay yeah yeah right. I, mean, I liked conan too but we yeah. only do so much <laughs> of it exactly so speaking of Conan dudes, so we had uh, we had our event. This is uh, yeah over a month ago now. So October second, we had six players show up for three rounds of organized play. Um, so we, this was so our second meetup, a little bit smaller turnout, and we kind of turned into a, a semi-formal tournament. Um, wait, I used it was sort of me uh, learning the Best Coast Pairings app to kind of learn the ins and outs of that um kind of see what worked and what didn't for you know, flipping up uh cards you know using the match play cards from heart of Gur, uh to kind of see you know instead of using the six set match play missions uh, so we had different missions going on uh across the board it was better it was it was okay there was still some non-interactive games because of those and so Going forward, I'm probably going to stick to like the match, the six match play missions in the core book, and just have everybody play the same ones. Yeah, but we had you know pretty good spread. But here's our results. So uh, a couple of lists we'll discuss here. So Chad with with Nurgle demons, uh, not a lot of oh, models. Two chimeras. Yeah, two chimeras, <laughs> and then and then our own our very own Dave who couldn't be here tonight. Uh, second place with Slaves of Darkness. So also playing Chimera. And so the the headline here is, so actually the Chimeras went a combined 6-0 in games played. Chad and Dave played first round, and Dave did not have a Chimera list, and he got crushed. And since this was kind of like an informal open play session, if you wanted to change lists or adjust your list between rounds, I was like, yeah, hey, cool, that's fine, go ahead. So he's, so he's like brought out his Chimera, and then he just crushed everyone else and then <laughs> i think the last game he played it was he it was blood marked and so that yeah. game was there was that game was over on turn one yes <laughs> and so we got another game in and won that one so yes uh out of all the games played chimeras won a, a combined six and oh i played chad in the third round uh and i got crushed as well i just had no way i was playing one box untamed beasts and yeah, uh, that's really had no way to compete um, and, and the thing to look at here is Dave's list, I think, is tunable. Um, I think you could go down that road. And in fact, we've kicked around some lists that are pretty close to this. 
but like for example, I'm not a huge fan of the Exalted Hero of Chaos, and like I was, have I was a yeah. Exalted Deathbringer in that slot, or you could upgrade the Dark Oath Warcreen to an Exalted Dark Deathbringer because you have the points, and the list gets even better. Um, so, so yeah, I don't think we've even seen like peak Chimera <laughs> on these lists yet. Yeah, I, I know. I think we started t- kicking around Exalted Deathbringer based on your suggestion, Dan. Um, probably yeah, after this. Yeah, and as I was writing this list down, I was like, oh, hey, there's that there's that magic 185 number, and there's a lot of good stuff you can put in at that 185 point. Yeah, and I just feel like the Exalted Deathbringer does everything that all of the uh, bespoke leaders wish they could do. Um, that... Uh, that guy on the dark oath is pretty good as well but for the most part most of them are just worse versions of the exalted deathbringer and i feel like it it really epitomizes what that archetype is trying to be um i mean we could go obviously one by one through them and we don't have time there there are ones that have redeeming characteristics that are pretty solid but in general i just think the that corn guy is just so nice to have if, if your goal is just to kill models with a model um he does that really well and since it's a miniatures combat game that's usually your goal um <laughs> yeah. so so he he brings so much damage on demand the nurgle list is really interesting i like beasts of nurgle um yep. it, did, it did some cool stuff against me I'll, obviously plague bearers are are a fun space to play around in because they're so cheap um and um yeah, I like I like a lot of that. I think some of the earlier lists I was looking at with Nurgle Demons of the Chimera, like you cut the Beast of Nurgle for three more Plague Bearers um, and just like bring so many bodies to the table. But Yeah, uh, I've been playing one with a uh, seven Plague Bearers and a Bringer of the Word yeah. to try lead from the back stuff with them. I've gotten to play it once, um, and it was pretty effective, but... Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot you can kind of get to with Nurgle. Master Molder. Base for the Chimera. Master Molder. Master Molder can... Uh, five points Five points cheaper has more wounds. Yeah, but I don't own a Master Molder. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Warren, Warren loves the Master Molder. You're, you'll see a lot of Master Molders in yes. Warren's lists. He's, he's my soul animal. <laughs> Uh, we also had another back to the pictures here. Uh, you can see in the in the left here. So Dustin was playing Beast of Chaos with a uh, yeah, he, he took a Cygor. Yeah, he's got a Gorgon too. Uh, but I he, do too. I just went out. I have a Gorgon. I just went out and bought a Cygor. I just I I have so I now have like almost every monster. I've just yeah, completely he, hooked on him. But he played against two Chimeras, unfortunately. Yeah. And and we'll talk about this maybe a little bit later, but I played my Cygor against Dave's, this this Chimera list on Halloween, and my Cygor felt really out of place. It, it didn't have a good role, because, like, it had to, like, avoid the Chimera or was going to get gibbed. It wasn't, like, ready to go, like, toe-to-toe with the Chimera, and the Chimera could just kind of keep it herded where it couldn't do much, so... It's interesting. Well, the, I thought the theory was that, oh, hey, the Cygor can throw a rock and it can bracket it down, and the and the Cygor would would be a good matchup against it. I yeah. thought that was the theory I was hearing. 
I think that is, in fact, the theory. But I, I don't know. I don't know. This, the the chimera can like even up down one bracket can come up and like dragon maul it and then attack it down like two or three brackets, and then you're back to losing that fight. I, I don't know. I don't know. So hobby update. Uh, a couple pieces of uh, Dave's Dave's stuff in work there. Uh, and then also I've actually finally broke out the paint, um, a couple weeks ago. And then I was actually got in the zone last night too. Uh, so I'm going to have finally now an updated 2.0 war band with some Skaven that are painted up. So I got a, uh, one, at least one of those guys is going to be a stand in for a death master. And I got some more stuff in the works as well for my, uh, for my 2.0 lists. So it's awesome. a start. Awesome. Yeah, it looks good. And then, uh, Dan, what you got on your hobby table? I uh, am currently painting, as we speak, a Sloppity Biopiper. Um, and uh, as soon as I run out of this color, this uh, Storm Fiend Blue, I'm going to be uh, assembling a bunch of Wardens from Lumineth. I've never actually built or painted any Lumineth, but I've got the Warcry box here. Um, great little combo of units. And so, yeah, I'm just going to be putting some of those long breakable spears together. Yes. My my Lumineth list is very 1.0. I haven't updated it. So it's all Blade Lord spam, um, which, you know, isn't where you want to be at the moment. So I need to get some Wardens, I think. I think that's the future of that that faction. Yeah. Are you doing you're doing spears or are you doing the hammer dudes? I'm hammer on 50 50 each. Um, okay. Put this up in a video, but I really like having an Achillean King with a bunch of both of them, and then a um, Tempest Eye support character, and then uh, you know whichever of the Lumineth leaders that's really cheap has the most utility. I think most of the Lumineth leaders in general are bad. I think right now I'm most interested in the Caligrave, but um, you know not by much. I'm not super excited about it. It's just to have a cheap leader, right? Yeah. Um, and then, and then, yeah, just one deployment group where your your little stone hammer guys are being escorted by Tempest Eye friend, and then the other deployment groups would be Warren uh, Warden heavy. Yeah, I like the Achillean King. I, I one of my, you know, I, I don't want to get ahead of us when we talk about list building theory and two point is units they can try to put like big burst damage on demand so if they have to like try to bracket down a monster or whatever and the archelian king is, is on my short list of, of strong blows yep <clears throat> yep uh if zach was on yeah if zach was on yeah it's his star wars legion stuff here but yeah he's been busy doing doing some of that uh hobby wise so we got a we got a build party going on at his place. It might just wind up being me and Zach just building stuff. But uh, yeah, um, kind of excited for that. Like anytime we do like a hobby hangout or like a paint party or whatever you want to call it, it's a good way to get stuff done. So I'm, I've been looking forward to that. I have boxes and boxes of stuff I'm taking down and looking forward to putting together. We uh, we used to do those and watch the Star City um, legacy coverage get together and paint and watch the star city games all right yeah, yeah it's a uh but i mean yeah great way to if you're if you're stuck on hobby like find a friend and do a hobby hangout with a friend or something like that and what good way to get back into it 
But uh, getting into the meat of the content here. So, and then I forgot to mention earlier. Um, so, if if you're listening to us on Spotify, on uh, Apple Music or iTunes or or Google Podcasts or something like that, so you couldn't see any of the awesome pictures. The best way to experience this is on our YouTube channel. But we are kind of cross broadcasting this since it's a long form podcast as well. Uh, so I'll, naturally, some of the stuff we're going to be going over here on the video is not going to translate well. Apologize for that, but we're going to try to talk through uh, as much as we can. But getting into the meat here. So uh, if you saw our last video, we talked about like the basics of of Math Hammer. Um, you know how the stats kind of worked, and you know kind of you know our way of looking at it in terms of figuring out okay, what's the point for point most efficient units? And how are those how is that calculated? And as a new content creator, give a shout out to Optimal Game State on YouTube. Um, check them out. Uh, they do kind of like a rundown of a, like a subset, like Chaos Heroes or Order Heroes. And it's you, you, salty. You've seen them too, right? It It is tight. Like he managed very comprehensive, to pack, very nice. Yeah. Pack a ton of information into, into 20 minutes, 30 minutes or so, you know, histogram charts and stuff like that. And that kind of, you know, kind of you know inspired what um so what what we're going to be going over here too we got a few histogram charts as well because we kind of want to, as a follow-up talk about you know what are the overall you know if you're trying to do stats like what's your overall average average toughness or that you have to worry about uh when trying to do like that weighted average so to get into our discussion first before we start talking about what you know how do how do you determine the weights to kind of do a little live test of our spreadsheet here um so using the data and then zach's not here but zach did all the data entry for 2.0 for this uh and this is uh based off of uh reddit spreadsheet from 1.0 that i think the name of the guy on reddit was uh matrinder i think give him credit as well i mean try to make sure that uh so that he had the original formulas and some other people have have created spreadsheets like this. You probably have something like this as well, right, Dan? I do. Um, I've never really seen other people. I know there's been a lot of networking with these. I mostly just kind of built my own. Uh, yeah, most folks kind of did the most, data entry myself too. It was yeah. no fun. Most folks build their own, but here we can do something like, okay, right now we're showing everything in the game. You okay? We where you want the hardest hitters in the game? Boom! Right, Chimera, Gorgons. And this is where the monsters skew all the data, right? And so now yeah. you can filter out, okay, well, let's set aside the monsters, right? Because they're kind of a special case. And now you have, all right, Storm Fiend, Tyrant Crushers, the heaviest hitters. Yeah, that, look that, looks, that looks pretty pretty intuitive. Those, yep. are, those are your heavy or, hitters. Yep, or using our metric of points per effective damage, right? We have to flip it and, short, and sort smallest to largest here. And now you can see the most efficient fighters in the game point for point based on their average damage right grave guards paladins with star soul maces your three your move three guys right are going to be yes. your hardest hitters point for point and then you can see here exactly how gross grave guard with great blade is you know how much lower it is than everything else yeah they're on a tier all by themselves but one of the things that's a variable here that i kind of wanted to have you on for discussion dan is like how do we look at uh, when you're coming up with this effective damage, how do you set the weights, right? 
in 1.0, we had it set up, and I think you had the same set of formulas, right? You put 40%, you assume that 40% of your, your fights are going to be against toughness 3, 40% against toughness 4, 20% against toughness 5. And you can see it changes, it changes some of the numbers here in this column if you change those weights. But by and large, they're kind of the same. But again, us being OCD, we want to try to figure out, okay, what's the, what's the best what's the best sort of like set of weights that kind of like matches what we'd expect to see uh, in, yeah. in War Cry today? And so if you're kicking it to me, I think toughness six has to be in there. Now, I've seen the histograms of how many things of each toughness are in each fight or, or are in the whole game. The mm -hmm. issue is that when you look at who's actually showing up to tournaments and what is actually good, man, there's a lot of toughness six out there. You're going to have to fight so much fast. You just, you yeah, you can't. Exactly. You your chances of never seeing a stormcast, which all of them are five or six. More of them are five than six, but yep. you know, no matter what, it's going to be toughness five, toughness six. You're just not going to get out of a tournament without facing um, either a stormcast player or someone who's just got one stormcast ally in there for giggles, right? Uh, because there's a lot of pretty playable stormcast heroes that can there are so them. many heroes just in general that you're yeah. going to find one you can fit somewhere so i'm really into having um some t6 in there i'm also into kind of overweighting toughness five compared to how much it actually appears in the entire game right just because again mm -hmm. that stormcast principle um and i've also found that Iron Jaws are pretty popular, like just, you know, they're a people's army. Um, and so they've got a lot of Toughness 5 in there too. So I'm actually personally, and you know, the, the small margins here don't matter too much, but I personally go equal weighting on 3, 4, and 5, and then 10% on 6. Um, okay. And so <laughs> when you do that, I think it actually brings the Graveguard up above the Chimera. Um, doesn't matter too much, right? It's it's all pretty similar. Um, and then I've got Arcanaut with Skypike, I think is my number three. Um, let's see. Oh, you're resorting. Yep, that's yeah, enough. Yeah. But um, you know, these are these are kind of small marginal changes, right? I mean, yeah, certainly. yeah. It's like whether or not around the top couple without really doing anything. It's not bringing up somebody from the middle of the pack to the top or, or dropping somebody down significantly, but um, that's interesting how good the grave card is, which the answer to that question is is very, very good. Um, that strength five starts to shine as you start to weight those higher toughnesses a little bit. But strength five, the, the toughness six, I mean, if you have tough, if you have strength four, you're hitting the same versus a five or a six. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, yeah, either way, they, uh, some of them, like Arcanauts with Skypike also, I think, come up a little bit, um, because all of those, yeah, bringing in Toughness 6 really helps the Strength 4 fighters to, yeah. uh, to shine a little bit more. And Arcanauts where you might, so gross. And where you might see this, there's this one analysis that I did recently, right? Usually, it's because you're looking at different, two different loadouts for something. 
and you're trying to figure out, okay, what's the best loadout? And you're looking at one is like a sword loadout with four attacks, strength four. One might be like a heavier weapon loadout with three attacks at strength five. Yeah, Games Workshop loves their three strength four attacks or four strength three attack loadout swaps. Again, they're very and they're very similar, right? And so we've kind of had this discussion, I think, with so Varen Guard is is one example, right? Like which which Varen Guard is better? You know, the the uh, the 280 or the two, or the 285 one or the 285 or the 291. So Krakadrak obviously is the, the heaviest hitter, but then you okay you're looking at four four three five versus three five three six, and then you can even see the breakdowns. Okay, which one performs better against each toughness level? So if you really want to get into this, you could be like, well, you know, if I, you know, in this case, in, in some cases or against a lot of them, right? The ensorcer weapon work, performs better than the demon forge blade, but in one instance. Actually, in two instances, the Demon Forge Blade works better. Works better at T5 uh, and slightly better at T4. But then again, at T6, again, if you're, you know, a, a strength five hits a T6, where it is the same effectiveness versus a T6 as a strength four. So you want the extra attack. So then again, the, the sword pulls out. So which one, it, it kind of depends on your individual matchups, like, you know, which weapon works best against which fighter. Yeah, absolutely. And then also, you know, some of these, the ones that are range two, that's just so relevant so often that um, I value those much more highly, even than something that kind of out damages it by a little bit. Not if it's by a ton, um, but just getting out damaged a little bit, I usually value the the range two a little bit more. So like for the Achillean King, for example, it gets out damaged by the sword the spear Achillean king is out damaged by the sword Achillean king mm. however it's got that two inch reach and actually the funny thing is it out damages the sword when doing the uh super burst ability um it gets really close but oh. it's like yep. just barely like a third of a point of damage more while using the uh the burst ability Right. The, so it's the nat right. naturally having more attacks. That benefit is decreased because you're because you're adding three up to three attacks across the board on both profiles. Right. Exactly. So it makes me like the spear one just a little bit more. I would still maybe, you know, if I was going to be a madman and bring two Achillean kings, I would I bring lists. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would bring one of each because the sword one is much better at uh, gunning down chaff, right? Because you're not going to bother, like, you don't care about getting outside of one inch from the chaff anyway, because you're not really afraid of the crackback and you're not um, planning for it to still be alive to fight back, right? Uh, so, you know, the, the one inch reach stops hurting you and then you don't want to waste a dice ability killing a tiny model right so if i was playing two i'd play one of each but if i'm only playing one i would go with the spear you can go you ahead. can really thundercats that faction you can play four eels two kings and uh yeah, yeah just I was go down that uh-huh so you mentioned yeah so yeah i spend most of my time in this spreadsheet in these columns here, looking at the effective damage points per effective damage, I kind of tunnel vision a little bit on that. But you you mentioned there's other nuances like the you know, the, the you know having a range of two versus a range of one. Uh, mobility matters. Survivability. 
survivability is an even more nuanced question. Uh, we have some, we don't use this part of the spreadsheet nearly as much, but we've developed metrics here. Uh, you know, if you're going to be talking about your, uh, your survivability, you know, you can, how many attacks do you have to take? Can you survive from a strength three model? How many attacks can you survive from a strength four model? But to do that, you not only have to have the weights like we did before to discuss, all right, well, how many times, how often do you expect to be attacked by models of various strengths? But what isn't the average profile for those models as well? And so this is, I think, still accurate. So, you know, this is saying that the average strength three, three fighter has about two attacks uh, and about a 1.5, maybe and then we, three, three or four damage or crit damage. Your average strength four fighter is kind of like that 4424 profile that, that we like to see. And so you could get really nuanced in this as well, but in, you're, in you're coming up with a, a set of numbers that could be fuzzy or have errors. You're doing calculations to come up with them. Um, and you can come up with an overall value here that's, you know, tax to kill and an, another survivability metric of points for attacks to kill. But I, I like to lean on simple formulas that are kind of easier to understand. And so this is why, like, I might lean back towards a weighting. You know, I, I've seen folks that are using a weighting set of scales like 0 0.25, 0 0.5. 0.25, ignore toughness six. You have something easy there to figure out, or a simple metric like points per wound. Yeah, like instead of looking at points per attacks to kill, if you looked at points per wound as a, as a metric for survivability, or just look at your overall wounds as survivability, you have it could be um, you, you have a lot of the same ones up top here. Granted, again, the ordering is a little bit different, but if you just wanted a very simple way to look at a fighter and say Okay, that's a hundred point fighter with with ten wounds. That's kind of glass candy, and you might want to steer away from that. Uh, versus like, oh, this is a you know a, a fifteen wound fighter at seventy five points. You look at that like a Sangor and be like, oh, that's a tanky piece of chaff. That's going to be hard to that's going to be hard to shift. So, I've actually started valuing survivability um, for my cheap models like very, very highly, um, specifically just because I don't want them, if I'm playing, if I'm playing something specifically to have activations, um, I don't want my opponent to have a really easy time just blowing it off the board. Yes. And so um, I put some work in to kind of decide, like you said, I don't like having a really complicated thing to look at. So all, all my math hammer is set up to do um, like, for example, you have points per effective damage here. I've divided them all by an amount so that every model is just rated 1 through 10. And I've done the same thing with my um, kind of toughness stuff. So, mm -hmm. like, what I did was I figured out what weight I wanted to do for damage efficiency, right? Yep. <laughs> Lots of different valid opinions for how you're going to weight it. But once I had the weight that I liked, I just took the 400, um, the 400 most damage efficient models, and I figured 
there are plenty of really good fighters that aren't on this list, but you're usually taking them for other reasons. So I'm not that worried about surviving the attacks from them. And so then I just looked at the um, number of attacks it would take to kill a 20 wound model at a bunch of different toughnesses. And then I derived a formula so that the, um, the rating of the 20 wound model that is in this case 200 points of that toughness would be equal relatively to the number of attacks it was doing and then just uh, spat that formula out across the whole range to get something that um, at least right now kind of gives them all a relative score to each other based on the fighters that I'm afraid of but not the whole game uh, yeah. worth of fighters. Yeah, yeah you're right. Because there's, I mean, we have something like 800 different profiles here. But yes, in reality, you're only going to be seeing maybe maybe 100 or 200 different profiles because no one's taken, you know, stuff is included there for sake of completeness. But, you know, no one takes those models. Right, <laughs> right. So, um, so I had a lot of fun doing that, to be honest. I'm looking for what I've got as my tankiest models, but it doesn't it doesn't matter too much. Yeah, we, um, I, again, just I, this is really what I want to talk about, the different approaches. And we um, I got a slide talking about this later, too. But, you know, typically I, I, I go so far on this. And then at that after a certain point, I'm just like, OK, I have a good idea of what's good, like how killy it is or how survivable it is. And then, all right, now it's time to make a, now it's, now that I have my, my list of candidates, now it's time to make a list. And there's like, you know, the general principles of list building that we have. Absolutely. So do you want to uh, mosey on over to us kicking a bunch of list ideas around at each other? Well, I got some, I got a few more graphs here. Let's get back to the slides just to kind of cover. We got to get through all the graphs first. Got to get through, yeah, we got graphs here. So we got to, so this is, so I built some histograms based on our data. Um, uh, I forgot to edit the slides. So the x-axis are pretty rough, but here you can see, let me get the pen out. I teach this way too, when if I'm teaching distance learning stuff. So this is toughness two. This is toughness three, toughness four. Toughness five here. And then these are the different, these are the different wound values. So he, here you have this line is six, eight, 10, 12. Um, but yes, just some general history. Here you can see the bulk of the, the, the if you look at the entire population of, of fighter profiles, heroes and minion uh, heroes and, and fighters included you, it's a lot of toughness for which kind of leads credence to that you know you know building some sort of bell curve for your weights around toughness four there and again a non a non a significant number of toughness sixes right 42 models in the game with toughness six yeah that's actually more than i would have thought and of course the hilarious toughness seven models they've uh, sprinkled in there yep <laughs> And then you can see, you know, look again, 20 wounds being very popular. A lot, you know, a lot of 10 to 12 wound models in the in the hit points chart. You know, 58 wound models, 80, 10 wound models, 86, 12 wound models. And uh, I think I got a slide here. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't I cover the toughness one, but not the uh, I don't cover the wounds. But if you remember, like the typical chaff profile that we saw in 1.0, if you're raiding a dragon, you know, what was your chance of killing a, a toughness three eight wound model? There's a lot fewer of those toughness yeah. three eight wound models out there that people are playing. Uh, yep, the game's um, evolving. The game's evolving upwards, like in the new stats. Like there's a lot more ten wounders and twelve wounders out there. You're not one shotting chaff models with dragons anymore, unless you're spending a lot of points on that dragon. And and of course they've 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 increased the points uh, on on those flying killing machines too. Yep. So there's and, there's a little bit of a of an imbalance there. Yep, and this has an effect on what we see in lists, right? In model numbers for lists as well. Yep. Here's a, a real quick comparison just with, you know, versus 1.0 toughness versus 2.0 toughness. Um, again, here you can see the uh, the numbers overall, right? Fewer toughness three fighters. Again, the, uh, the underworlds were the, the underworlds guys are out of this. But again, a, a slight shift over into the uh, uh, over into uh, uh, into more toughness four than uh, toughness three. Yeah, that's it. That's interesting. That's cool. And yeah, I mean, you guys covered it, but the big takeaway being, you know, the age of dragons being like the only valid answer to every question is certainly over. Um, there's a lot of them that are still really good, but what was it at Adepticon? Every single person in position to play four, three, and one, not everyone who got three and one, but like everyone who was even available to get to three and one had a 10 inch move flyer in their yep. list because it was just it was just Cockatrice, so heavily or, weighted or towards oils. that yeah um because the ability to like run over and kill something every round was just so important especially once they switched to four rounds but didn't change the stats on everything to be more survivable for four rounds um yeah, being able to do that, there was no possible way to attrition, like to to survivability attrition that out. Um, and like you've shown with these very subtle shifts in stat changes, um, I think they've made, I think four rounds is a much more pleasant experience than three. And they've gone ahead and made four rounds just um, make more sense with the stats than it did in 1.0, which is really nice to see. Yep. And then, so again, shout, you know, props to props to you. This is an old video of yours. Um, this is kind of going over your old 1.0 formulas. Uh, you, I know you had taken all everything, you know, a lot of things into account. You had taken in, you know, fighter abilities, you know, movement, range, uh, survivability, and had this, you know, complex scoring system. <laughs> yeah, I had, so I had, at the time, I was really into the idea of just a single overall score to determine what is the best fighters in the game, just sort of as is. And I think in 1.0, I still stand by that approach, but the game has really changed in 2.0. Uh, for For one, I had a projection score in that video. The nature of power projection is so different in 2.0 that I had to just completely throw that old formula out. Um, it just wasn't valid anymore. And also, you know, you've got something here about how I would calculate have the importance of having roles in a list. 
Uh, I really liked yeah. the idea of being able to mathematically evaluate lists, given that we didn't have uh, really tournaments going on in the pandemic. I think that's that uh, being able to do that is a lot less important now, but um, I actually think that the thing that that's trying to get at of just having different strengths to your list, I think that kind of thing is even more important now than it was before of um, having a list that can do multiple different things, right? That can have um, a backbone of things that just win one-on-one -on -one fights and then also have a way to reach across the board. And those two don't necessarily need to be the same thing. Whereas in 1.0, they kind of could be, right? You could have your uh, move five demonets or you know your move six plague monks. Um, you could have those be your projection and your fighty bits. Um, now you can't really do that. I think they've done a much better job with the stats this time around, although, you know, there's plenty we could argue about about how they've pointed certain models. But I do think, um, you know, in general, they've kind of made it so that you need to have different elements to your list now uh, in, a, in a way that's really cool, but also uh, definitely makes my old project of having one number, final number to evaluate a model. Uh, I don't think that project is nearly as useful as it was when I first embarked upon it. Well, it's it's you had mentioned tournament results, right? You have you can have a you can have a huge complex calculation. You can come up with an overall score for the fighters and okay, this is my overall score for the warband based on based on certain metrics and synergies and and stuff like that. But there wasn't near you know nowhere near enough data and i don't think there ever will be enough data to sort of validate that right because it's warcry being a small game compared to even like say you know any of the, either the big army games or kill team um you're you're probably never going to see like a meta watch article for for warcry like you like you see for kill team oh interesting my hot take is we're like 2 years away from that so i think we in will one day see it in terms uh, of it growing in terms of getting a meta watch article from gw mm. i think in two years i think we'll we'll have it because i mean think about the game two years ago i mean literally no one was playing well i guess the pandemic makes it so impossible to do that kind of uh thought experiment doesn't it but um i mean just just fantasy is naturally going to be a subset of the 40k fan base and skirmish is always going to be a subset of the big army game fan base and warcry is a is a so it's a, you're getting a fraction of a fraction of the overall G, gw fan base i'm not sure it's ever going to be i'm not sure it's ever going to be big enough or like does gw even care do they want to keep this as kind of like a semi-fun beer and pretzels narrative they're, game they're pushing a lot of product for it they're, i mean they're pushing product for it but like where's our where's our faq well, that's a valid question. I'm, I'm not. I'm not asking for balanced data slates every quarter like we get for Kill Team, you know, hands-on management like that. But, um, you know, where's where's our FAQ? We got an Kill Team got an FAQ uh, for their latest set, or for for their Into the Dark set. And well, we don't we don't have one yet, and there's there's questions we would like to get answered or cleared up. I um think that that could be a whole different conversation and we should talk about lists 
<laughs> yeah, griping about uh, GW support, yes or no, is is a, a rough rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> whether <laughs> you're whether you're bullish on it or bearish, either way, it can be rough. Well, the big takeaway here, though, is you know, talk all the stats, and maybe people kind of zoned out already, but the numbers don't lie. They certainly except, do not. <laughs> except for when the abilities are more interesting than the numbers. But we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> yep. So here I wanted to kind of just talk about. So if getting back, we're, we're going to go back up to the you know, high level discussion here. Maybe you're, you're listening to us. You're new to the game. And we actually we have seen a fair number of new people in Discord. And you know, they're, they're asking, hey, what's good? And more more often than not now, I'm saying just follow rule number one, the rule of cool. Like, look at the armies, look at what you like, and go with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, but I will say that as someone that my enjoyment of a game comes from um, tuning and, and identifying uh, competitive lists, that advice is not always what, for example, I personally would be asking for. People say, well, what do you think is cool? It's like, I don't care. <laughs> Tell me what's good. And that's what is cool to me, like is identifying the, the, the synergies and the efficiencies and, and the ways to attack the metagame. Well, um, I, I so, think for, so this is kind of my other point. So if, again, the, one of the things behind the rule of cool is the fact that, like if you if you think you're working on a cool faction, you're going to be into it. You're going to have fun building and painting it. You're, you're going to probably spend more time building and painting miniatures than ever playing the game. This is very true. Um, but the other thing is, you know, if we kind of talked about this on the last episode, the way that the points are laid out in 2.0, all of the models are pretty much following the same point algorithm it's it makes sense if something is fast and tough and flies it's going to be expensive but you get what you pay for in pretty much in pretty much every case it's not like certain certain units just simply got shorted in the points budget um yeah it's more it, about it, where they spent the points and how exactly yeah the right points, now right? yeah there's some units are still better than others because they spent their points better right you know they only they only paid for eight inches of movement instead of paying extra for 10 or 12 or something like that um but yeah that part quick aside 12 inch move oh that's so rough to be rough spot to be in given just how much 10 inch move is always the exact same thing on the on the actual board right yeah or or you look at three inch move potentially like maybe three inch move is maybe too cheap. We talked about that as well, or maybe the combination of three inch move with, with the ability to boost your move by six inches um, from a movement ability. Maybe that's, maybe that's too broken, but generally speaking, you get what you pay for. You're not, it's not like you'd be playing iron golems in 1.0 and just straight up like, yeah, you, your stats suck. Like, yeah, good thing I paid for all this toughness, right? What, yeah, whatever, right, whatever, um, whatever points budget we had, like, you simply just didn't, you you were last in line when giving out stats for points, and you just simply didn't get what you paid for. That's not the case in 2.0, and so you could do something like, hey, (laughs) you want to play pus boil plus pus boil pus boil (laughs) blight lords? I do. (laughs) 
go nuts, man. Uh, I mean, 42 wounds. Yeah. And I also think sort of this is maybe branching a little bit off of what you're saying, but one side effect that I've found in um, playing quite a bit at this point is that because everything is sort of much closer in terms of the quality or just the the blatant yes. points mistakes are mm-hmm. so much yep. fewer. Yep. Um, Very- abilities matter so much more because that's where you get the edge um, when, you know, when two fighters bump up against each other. To me, the biggest edge isn't points mistakes. Now, we can get into the couple edge cases where I don't think that's true anymore. But in general, when most factions fight most other factions, the edge isn't points mistakes. It's um, what are you getting from the abilities at your disposal and how much value are you creating for yourself with those abilities? Um, So that I think that I don't build this way, but I think it's very reasonable to build looking at the list of abilities first and the fighters second. Uh, That's Um, that's kind of what I was thinking about with this whole theory of building. Oh, is that your top down versus bottom up? Sorry. Yep. No, great. Great great, to hear. Awesome. Great foreshadowing. That was kind of what I was thinking about with the whole bottom up list building theory. We'll talk about general guidelines, talk about top down, um, kind of the way that a lot of us built lists in 1.0, a new way of thinking about it, bottom up. And then also we'll talk a little bit about monster lists, which I think are their own kind of special case. So if you, you know, if you've been listening to us, seeing lists from us or, or checking out Dan's channel, um, the, probably the biggest thing is, you know, having three legit threats. You know, mid-sized threats, maybe 200-point threats, one per deployment group. A little harder to do now than it was, but still viable way to build. Yeah, and the thing I love about it, because it's harder than it was, I think there's a lot of ways to build that aren't that now. But if you if list building intimidates you, this is a great template to just do. You know, just... What are my three favorite Chonky Boys in this faction? Just going to play them. And hey, I'll just fill it out with uh, little guys. And mm-hmm. it's just a great way to do it if if the idea of kind of complex list building is intimidating to you. Because it, it's always going to be viable. Uh, not always for every faction, but like half the factions in the game at least can build a pretty reasonable list with this uh, template. Yeah, and... and, and- and that's where some of these efficiency killiness models can be very useful. It's like then fill in with your most efficient remaining model, right? Like find your most efficient things to pack in around the edges to fill out your points. And you have something that's not going to be like frustrating to play, right? It's going to be, it's going to work whether it works as well as what your opponent is doing, but it's not going to feel like it's non-functional. Yeah. And, and kind of branching off what I think you were saying is like, okay, so yeah, this is a really simple template for someone who's scared of list building, like what I said, but then you can actually get really into the weeds of what three threats from my list should I have? Should I have the same one three times? Should they be playing different roles? And then of course, you know, the the tight math hammer over what you fill it out with, which chaff to use when, whether you might put different chaff in different deployment groups, like all of that, 
you can get really into the weeds with this template, but you also can face roll it and you'll lose yep. some, obviously lose some EV that way, but you can do it if uh, you want to. Yeah, it's a it's a template and it's tunable. You can start yep. with it and then you, you can definitely tune it up to the optimal um, of that template. Um, and, and, and we'll talk about this as we go on. There are some um, down here where it says mobility, for example, like there in 1.0, having a 10 inch flyer was really, really critical. And, um, you know, in 2.0, we're seeing a lot of lists that are not mobile in the 1.0 sense of the word, right? They don't have that at least one piece. They can go anywhere, anytime. And what are the pros and cons of doing that? The pros are that flying models got more expensive and you get more points efficient by cutting them. But the cons are you don't have that 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 um, ability to pick and choose where to where to put this model and, and start fights. Um, so these you know are list building considerations, which is good, I think, because in 1.0, if you wanted to be competitive, it wasn't really a list building building consideration. It was you start there. Right. And then and then you fill in around it because it was kind of mandatory if you wanted to compete against all, in all the mission types. Yep. And one final thing here for the legit threats, it doesn't necessarily have to be one. The, that threat doesn't necessarily have to be one model. It might be a group of models. It could be like a Cryptgast and, you know, three or four Graveguard. You know, we call yeah, it Cryptgast four Graveguard is going to mm -hmm. outfight almost anything it runs into. Right, whether it's one big model or a bunch of small models, so I would consider that. Yeah, you could, you could have a group of models that that form a threat, or I have a. Um, you could use a Skaven list, right? Yeah, two storm vermin backed up by a hero with lead from the rear, might be might be enough of a threat to to count as a, a legit threat instead of having just a single model. And part of that's because support heroes went; they all went down in points by so much that yeah. they're. None of them are among the top point-for-point point fighters in the game, but they are way less just dead weight in your list than they used to be. And so that makes it so that, absolutely, a support hero plus three people getting the buff from that support hero becomes a threat in a way it wasn't before. Yeah, and some of these abilities we're talking about are insane. Like, game, you landed at the right spot, and the, you can just crack open a game. Lead from the back is one of them. Um, the the big movement buffs from uh, Tempest Eye and Flesh Eater Courts, you know, you can all of a sudden just have an entire deployment group full of undercosted slow movers just like out grinding your opponent anywhere you want them. It's it's definitely a way to play and, and more my lists lately have gone more towards that route um, than the three threats. Um, but you know that model isn't necessarily dead yep it also increases your model count some so i <clears throat> i had a i had an old graphic i didn't include here but on an old 1.0 slide right i tried to classify like if you had t you know back in 1.0 most of your lists had nine ten models eight eight models if you're going down to seven models i was a little worried uh, nowadays, I think you're looking at lists and that your overall model count has dropped now from the list we've been seeing in 2.0. Have you guys seen that as well? Oh, yeah. Yep. And in a good way, I think, um, I think it, it's really cool to see that you can get 
any amount of models. We've seen 12 model lists win tournaments. We've seen six model lists win tournaments. So I think that's really exciting. I do think model count by faction is important, right? Different factions have different model counts there that right. they should be at. Like when I see a five model Stormcast list or a six model Stormcast list, I kind of, I get skeptical of it right away. I think, you know, you really want to be at number seven with Stormcast right now. But for mm. example, there are other factions where, you know, six is totally fine or other factions where you really want to be around eight or nine. So it uh, really depends on what tools you've got at your disposal. I'd argue six is fine for Stormcast. Five, five, I agree. You're probably putting all your eggs in, in one basket and getting too many fancy toys. But I think and six SCE is... just can't afford to have a deployment group with only one model in it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't even I... like the, the problem with six is you have three, two model deployment groups, and I don't love that either. Um, the, most the of the pro... time, what is what are your seven? It's a seven model stormcast list, though. You're taking a lot of basic dudes and or griffhounds, though, and have like maybe one hero, right? Uh, for me, it's taking two support heroes. Um, so oh, like I love, you're, you're saving your yeah, you're saving your points on that. Yeah, so like I love that Norwegian player who did the uh, one Tempest Eye hero and one Sylvaneth support hero, um, yeah. and got a ton of value that way. I do think okay, I'm not totally against six model Stormcast lists if the reason you had to go down to six was because you included a pro a uh, prosecutor. Yes, uh, if that's are great. If that's the reason that you're that's, down to six models is because you have a prosecutor or a uh, a thundercat, then that's okay. Yes, that's that's why that's why I'm at at six. Actually, it was a list from Justin Smith. It was his initial take on 2.0 that I'm that I'm going to building towards. Mm -hmm. Three three protectors, prosecutor, crossbow dude, and Lord Relictor. Yeah, I think that's totally reasonable just because the prosecutor will do so much work that it's worth going down one for your model count. And it's and it's six solid Stormcast dudes. Right. Whereas I've seen a decent number of people throwing together six model Storm. And it's perfectly fine to be like just, you know, I'm keeping it casual here. I've just got these guys. But a lot of the sort of 165 point Stormcast guys, like a lot of those. And my God, it, you have your choice of them. Right. You, <laughs> you really do. <laughs> um, a lot of those just don't provide the value over the 130 to 140 point Stormcast folks that I want. And so there, a list with yeah, a bunch of them it's... only gets to six models and it's kind of a sketchy six models. Um, you also have, again, like what Fred Shred's saying, man, by God, you have a lot of Stormcast heroes that are like 230 and up, but don't have a ton of movement, right? Mm -hmm. um, like the Lord Imperitant, a lot of people were pretty high on it uh, just because it's so impressive on the board when you pull off the ability. Uh, yep. I still love it as an ally for other factions, but in Thunderstrike, I kind of think it's a bit of a trap, right? Because you can't get to seven fighters um, if you have a Lord Imperitant, and it isn't giving you that kind of mobility that a Thundercat or a, a uh, Prosecutor gives you. So 
it kind of puts you in this odd in-between spot where I just think it's way harder to optimize. Yeah, kind of like how we talked we talked about they having the critical mass of bodies for lead from lead from the back actually is tricky as well. It's harder to hard to get the harder hitting bodies in there to go with it and have the numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I I know this goes more in towards bottom bottom up list building, but I do think yeah, you either want the numbers or corn has a lot of profiles that really leverage three very effective attacks. And so I think you can go fairly low model count with lead from the back in corn. Um, yeah. Now also yeah, you could go high with corn because blood blood reavers are pretty solid with lead from the back too. I mean, but if you get lead from the back on an exalted deathbringer, um, just on one exalted deathbringer, his odds of killing a lot of models if he's in range is very high. Like. Yeah, yeah. And it just goes up from there, right? Like that can be like your floor. Like put them in the same deployment group, and like if I only get to pump him up, he's a brugit on my guy that has this insane attack profile. Um, yeah, but and he's a uh, brugit who can cover the whole board too because he's got six movement. So he's a brugit who can run from one fight to another fight. Yes, it's that's one of those. Missions, I, it's it's like one of the reasons lines. I like the Deathmaster if you have the points for it because he's so fast. But um, so speaking of fast, well, speaking of, you know, we talked a lot about efficiency and killiness already. Uh, you know how to kind of compute that now. Um, you also kind of want to look at survivability in your individual models. Um, and again, my my selection is, you know, I, I pick out the models like the models I'm going to go pick up, build and paint have already been kind of picked out on a list and I keep a spreadsheet. And I just build a spreadsheet with those models in, you know, in my collection, you know, some combination of, of those. They've been kind of picked out for their efficiency. Um, haven't been haven't been called or, you know, deselected because of your glass cannony and, or maybe they bring some like, you know, ability to the table. Full disclosure, um, Warren is a big fan of 15 wound chaff models. Yeah, I like I like 12 and 15 wounds for chaff. Um, I think lower numbers are fine too if they're either like really cheap, like plate bearers or uh, wardens with the three inch, you know, wardens don't have to put themselves in danger to go fight you, right? So that can be really nice. Um, I like but, my uh, Arcanauts with pistols. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think Arcanauts are some of the best fighters in the game. I uh, played them at Nova and I did not regret it at all. Um, I think but, your only problem was you didn't have enough archives. <laughs> like ten. Yeah, definitely back, did not have a problem. I uh, I love that list. I would run it back for sure. The, the high side of model count. Yeah, back to that, right? If you're playing, so it's part of the reason why Soulblight Grave Lords is so scary. You have a high model count, so all these other war bands are kind of skewing lower in model count, right? Around seven or eight, and you can have very easily put together twelve, thirteen model. Soul Black Grave Warriors list with impactful models, and yeah. you, will, you will you will feel that difference in the activation count. So the one place I'm worried there. So okay, looking at the six match play missions, um, the ones like no quarter. Oh man, if you have a high model count Soul Black Grave Lords list, 
you'll never lose no quarter because they can't clear you off of any of the corners, no. right? Um, but things like uh, Treasure Hunters, I think is the one, and Cursed Relic. Uh, I don't know how you, I don't know how you win them. If you're if you're all in on model, model count for something like Soul Blight Grave Lords, I don't know how you possibly win those missions against a really tuned list that isn't all in on model count. And then uh, Reaper, that's the one thing where Soul Blight has the cheat code because their ability takes points off of your opponent's point total. Spiders totals. did the same thing, yeah. Yeah, completely unfair. Very um, unfair. Your opponent, when the, the first time you do it, your opponent just loses their mind like come on what are you right. what are you what are you telling me here right exactly so um and it's it's really funny like uh scour and raise the uh red rover missions run to the other side mm-hmm. uh that ability doesn't take the point total off of them but it does in reaper which is just so wild so soul blight has that thing where most really high model count warbands have a huge advantage in three missions and then a pretty big disadvantage in three missions. So it's, you know, balanced, right? But Soulblight, they have that cheat code in Reaper that kind of makes them unbalanced, but you still have to figure out, I think if whatever event you're going to runs Treasure Hunters or Cursed Relic, I think you have to have like a a specific plan for that mission, Um, whether that's my, I'm going to bring a terror geist and just kill their treasure carrier every time. That's a reasonable plan, but I think you have to have a mission tailored plan for yeah. for those two treasure missions. So that gets back to the, that. right. That gets back to mobility, right? Um, you overall you have to have some sort of plan for your mobility. You know, probably again, like you said, right? Pick a treasure model or a, a, if your faction has it, a point of a, a treasure of a fast mover, some sort of fast mover as your uh, as your treasure carrier for those missions and so you have to keep that in mind so at least one at least one fast mover for a good balance list and it can't be off of a um like flesh eater courts or swift as the wind thing to happen because if you run swift if you proc swift as the wind and then wait well then your opponent just takes the treasure Right, so you have to have your first activation be the the thing that can take the treasure. Yeah, it has um, to be naturally high movement. Right now, it can be I pop swift as the wind, and then I go take the treasure with my tempest eye person. But then your tempest eye ally has to be something that you're down to have holding a treasure, or your flesh eater quartz ally. You know, I think crypt ghasts are the best ally from flesh eater quartz in general, yeah. but. Uh, a crypt ghast is not an effective treasure holder. You know, it's so killable. So, I think there's a lot to kind of think about yeah, there. A big difference between that and, and a crypt infernal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But I used to love those crypt infernals. I had my two crypt infernal uh, courtier lists back in 1.0, and I thought those models were so good. <laughs> yeah, I would uh, almost wonder about the horrors. For that i'll have to go look at their points right just looking for something that lets you have a huge model count but also is a decent treasure carrier i'll have to take a look at those again i've mostly yeah horrors aren't bad I, I tend to go either super low with cryptcast or go all the way up to like arc regents um but there's probably a middle ground there that's that's fairly effective um and and we're kind of talking about abilities um 
the the fact of like, look, if you're counting on using your triples every round to res a unit or whatever else, then whatever other triples you bring are not good, right? Like because your yep. part of your core game plan is I'm going to be resurrecting a grave guard every turn, or like when I was playing spiders, like the goal was to resurrect a spider every turn starting round one, right? Like you push up super aggressively and and use triples starting from round one. Um, so you can't take other triples because that it disrupts your core game plan. If you have a monster in your list and you're playing to drag and maul your way through the game, like your other triples are not good. Um, and that's, it can be frustrating because there's like, man, I really want to do both these things, but I don't have the dice. So you really need to build away from that. Um, yeah, and the one exception I would say is if you have different stages of the game in mind, so, for example, Swift is the Wind. Uh, you're going to be using it round one every opportunity you can get. Later rounds, you might not need it. So, like, I've found that Swift is the Wind and Fight for Profit, they don't really fight each other for, for space because you just use them in such different situations, right? If you're in a situation where Fight for Profit is interesting, then you're probably in a situation where Swift is the Wind is not interesting, um, which I think is a really cool dynamic. But... Yeah, you you have to you have to know at each stage of the game what are you looking to do, and then any other ability with using those same dice is uh is kind of irrelevant. Yeah, so yeah, that's one thing to keep in mind, right? Like 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 Fred mentioned, having a game plan for your you know how are you gonna how's the game gonna flow? Like how we what are you gonna spend your doubles or triples on? But or or even does your faction have? good doubles or triples to use so you have to oftentimes have to look at your faction and make sure okay yep i do have some good abilities i have some free movement abilities or you know or a blood from the blood god for a free attack or move on kill or nets or yeah. or or you know or some of those other broken triples we, we we've been talking about so you have to keep that in mind as you're building your warband and have a plan for how all that plays together that's yeah. um Let's get more specific with the with the lists. Let's. Okay, I just want to say one other thing about mobility. I know some people are like, "Oh, the mounted rune mark's bad." I've been on record as saying I think one mounted guy is probably fine for any list. You know, you love the Varen Guard, and I I do too. I love the Varen Guard. Yeah, <clears throat> for for what it does, um, it's mounted, so it a little bit of a drawback, but you can probably work around it. Um, if you're running, you know, like some factions don't have a choice. They have to go to allies for this. Uh, I would be very leery if you, once you get up to two or three, you stand a much bigger chance of getting screwed by the terrain. Again, it kind of depends on what boards you tend to play on. But uh, yeah, I, I say, you know, you know, mounted, uh, good way to get a good way to get a, uh, a fast mover. Uh, you're going to pay some points, but you're not going to pay as much as you would for a flyer with those same abilities. Or even better, there's a couple models out there that don't, they're fast movers without the mounted rune mark, and those are especially valuable, right? Thundercats, uh, Blissbringer from uh, Slanesh, fast mover without, uh, uh, fast mover without uh, the mount rune mark. Or like um, Torted. The, um, Snakes from Daughters of Cain are move seven. Yep. Yeah, the snake uh, heroes are still really good. I think the 
the snake rank and file have gotten a lot worse. But yeah, those snake heroes, even though they all went up five points, totally reasonable still. Yeah, I like Daughters of Cain a lot right now. Actually, I have a lot of Daughters of Cain lists kicking around. Um, so kind of talk about, so the 1.0 method, we talked about this, right? <clears throat> um, you're going to pick your faction based on your top two or three threats. Um, in 1.0, we didn't often uh, have allies because they weren't they weren't as strongly um, they weren't as strongly endorsed by GW, and so you often times you're kind of pick you're stuck within faction and you pick so you pick your top two threats right like hey I want to play you know two crypt infernals and then you're gonna fill the rest out with chaff, and if your chaff was good chaff then uh, then you're in more power to you, but you just filled it out with with the chaff. Um, an example of this for for 2.0 that I think still holds is something like ogres, where you have a combination of really good killy uh, top end units, and then you can fill it. You can still get like eight models on the board because nobblers are ridiculous. Um, and I I think you can totally build an ogre list. It's like a crusher and a gut lord or whatever and like six knoblars if that's what you wanted to do and i think it'd be fine you have a lot of bodies and wherever your crusher gets to go he's going to kill um you know it's something you could totally do yeah that's a good example i think it's it's very hard to go wrong if you just pick three or four large ogres and fill the rest in with knoblars yeah and you can get a surprising amount of bodies if you don't like spend a lot of time looking at ogres list like knoblars are so cheap you can still get a reasonable number of bodies in there. Even like you play a tyrant and a gut lord, and that's like what, like almost six hundred points. You still get a bunch of knoblars. Yeah, knoblars are a little worse than they were in one but it's still reasonable from uh, just filling out the numbers and the rolls perspective for sure. Yeah, if you're like they're not going to do anything, they're just burning activations so my tyrant can get there and kill everything. You know, the tyrant will kill everything if you give them enough time. Yeah, the one thing though that I kind of like doing is, uh, oh, wait, hold on. You actually might be moving towards what I, oh, okay, yeah, this is kind of a halfway in between. I think going for that old method, um, but instead just going, I'm just going to pick the faction with the best chaff, and then mm -hmm. new soup rules just let me you know, make a mockery of any kind of that's exactly what I'm that's exactly what I'm getting to. So the whole bottom up list building thing. So you mm -hmm. mentioned, yep, if you graveguard or arcanauts, right? Or yep, some of the best chaff, you you're gonna build around that. Uh and then you're gonna kind of pick and choose your two or three big models based on the roles you want them to fill. Um, yep. Again, because since we're wide open now, you have access to allies. You could use a monster in this case. You could build bottom up with a monster. Um, thralls. Thralls, if you right? don't yeah, like your yeah, chaff. Yeah, destructive, <laughs> destructive, right? And destruction soup, right? You have some very good thralls there. Yeah, I think that that's the pen. That's like the the current um, iteration of this of this philosophy is best encapsulated by the destruction soup lists um well, there's more than one way to do it but you're like i want my 10 inch flyer in my hopper boss i want my heavy duty fighter that's like a rock gut trogoth my good chaff is my netters i like the right. reaction because it's really good 
and then I fill in my allies with whatever I need to, to round that out, whether it's even bringing in like a monster, like a Trogoth or uh, the, the Auric, uh, the Iron Jaws boar rider um, or, or something like that. And then you just have like a list that does what you want it to do. Like it's not well, thematic. It doesn't make any sense, but it's very <laughs> effective on the table. Well, Gits are also another natural home for that, too, because not only do they have the netters, but you also have access to Gobblepalooza in faction. Yeah, so you're not burning ally slots. Like, yeah. you could take Gits, or if you have the extra points, you take, uh, what's his face, Bogolai? Bogolai. I like, I, yep. like I, I have a lot of lists that start with, like, <laughs> Big Ogre, yep. Squig Hopper, uh, Brugit. And then just kind of fill in from there. But if you start with Gits, you don't have to burn those ally slots. Right. So you can still take, you know, you have a little more diversity of models because you can get it, the Blue <clears throat> and the Gits or the Brugit in fighters. So you can take them yep. both. And when we did that list review, uh, Dan, you were talking about you have all these good abilities. You have this whole, this huge toolbox of abilities to choose from as well uh, in, in that specific case. Absolutely. And one of the cool things about uh, double heavy warbands that don't care about triples much is doubles don't compete with each other for dice. You know, you can always just um, basically if you roll a natural triple, you can add a wild dice to it and you have a rampage, which those are always great. And as long as you have something that moves quickly, that makes rampage completely broken. And then if you don't roll a natural triple, you just don't use any of your wild dice turning doubles yep. into triples and you just spam like four doubles this round or so. i mean you're not gonna get four usually but like it's pretty easy a lot of the time to end up with three doubles no, at I, your disposal. I, do, I do that quite a bit that's a lot of whip cracking and um yeah we, we were talking about the killian king storm of blows or the varen guard relentless killers like the fact that those are doubles is what makes them so great because you can have them whenever you want like if you aren't triple heavy, you can just burn those like every round. Um, and and that's something that that I look at. And again, this is I wish I had played more 2.0, but on paper, I like those guys because I want to be able to like on demand get across the board and potentially bracket down a monster, right? Like you can get there with your 10 inch move, pop your big damage ability, and put a lot of damage where you want it. Um, which is something that a lot of my lists are kind of focused on. Um, I also so like, like the free in, the free move doubles where, you know, you get to have two attacks sometimes instead of just just one, and then you can also, um, you know, oh yeah, like you get the, to have the ones that flesh hounds have or Deathmaster. Right, and a lot of the times you're not paying the points for that movement, but you have it, right? So I've uh, really enjoyed playing. Um, the Slankhorse Slakehorn, which is actually five points more than it was in 1.0, but I think is actually better, partly because its friends are better. The rest of Sybarites are so much better than they were before, yeah, uh, but true. also partly because that ability to get around the board without having paid for flight is, I think, more important now than it was before. Yeah. Is, that on, is, is that on a double? Yeah, it's on a double. Oh, that makes that that makes that Slanesh Chimera list even sweeter then, because we were using Slakehorn as the as the leader for that. Um, all right. Um, so we talked about you know, okay, you might want to you know 
a certain faction might have a good chaff model, might have nets. Other factions with nets, we talked uh, we've talked about on Discord. You know, spire tyrants or unmade. You could use that as as the uh, as the backbone of your uh, of your warband, and then kind of pick and choose. You know, your heroes based on that. I, I know that destruction soup is the the most obvious uh sort of uh example of this but i the puzzle I pieces fit together really well yes. right like yes. there's a real natural fit but i believe that i think there's chaos soup out there as well and oh, yeah. i and i've said that you know um you know your your ko list dan is kind of like you know order soup in a way yeah it's it's getting towards soup it's a stew it's at least a stew uh yeah and then i think sylvaneth soup has legs because they're uh, teleporting chaff and they're oh, yeah, that's net a, chaff. Yeah, that's something good you could build around, yeah. So monsters are a special case. Uh, you could either do a top-down because you, you, you pick your monster first and you kind of build around that, or you might want to do a bottom-up build using some of the ideas from the bottom up where you might want to take Spire Tyrants and build around chaff with nets and then top it off with a monster. Um, another guideline that we've seen in good monster lists is you want to have a good plan B to go with the monster. So while the monster is busy winning you the game, uh, maybe something like a Slangor Slakehorn or um, a uh, Abhorrent Ghoul King combined with a, with, uh, combined with a Crypt Horror to kind of clean up models that the monster isn't uh, taking care of. I like that. I also like, and you've got model count here as your next one, uh, but mm -hmm. just having so much beef that your opponent just, they can't actually kill your things while also worrying about the monster, right? So that's kind of my whole um, theory around Nurgle with chimeras is that uh, you just can't kill plague bearers if you're worried about a chimera eating you. You know, yeah. there's there's just too many of them and they're too tough for you to kill them. Um, and I think this order is, can do something similar. This is an interesting point because I know initially the theory crafting we've been doing was the best home in a for a chimera was would be a high model count list. Because you can you with your high model count, you can wait out all their activations and then you, you go just ham with your chimera. Um, you know, you could you can attack uh uninterrupted against their monsters or, or whatever but what we've been seeing in these successful lists is these chimera lists they're successful regardless of the number of models yeah, right right the the yeah. pole what the polish one was the polish winning list was six models and successful six, eight, regardless yeah. of whether they have a plan b or not i mean right. i think what we're yeah. really getting to is the chimera is just overtuned um and i think also people panic when they see it I think in general, like at Nova, um, you know, a buddy of mine, Jason, he's the person who took second at the tournament with a terror geist. And this is nothing against the players who did this, but essentially he had two interesting matches and two where his opponent just kind of panicked and didn't play a real game of Warcry because, you know, they just... <laughs> the, they were just rattled by this giant thing in their face. Um, and I think that that's really helping Chimera players at the moment. And that's yeah. what I was going to say is that like part of it is people 
don't know how to play against monsters, whether it's panic or whether they have a plan, but it's not a good plan because they don't haven't faced one before and it's all theory crafted and they're like, okay, I'm going to execute my anti-monster plan, but it doesn't work. Um, yeah. And there's no shame in that, right? There's no right. shame for your first plan not working, right? You haven't had a chance to test it yet. And, what? and they're, they do something so different. Like they take up such a huge amount of real estate and dragon mall is, is such a game changer of an ability that you, some of the things you think might work, you can blow up on your face. Like you, you yep. don't take into account the monster can just grab one of your units and throw it on the other side of that huge base. And now your forces <laughs> split and your plan is all falling apart right. until you see it happen. And then you're like, okay, well that keeping a buff unit, like a support hero and a regular guy together to try to kill this monster didn't work because he just dragged and mauled the support guy away from the other guy and killed it. Um, you know, it's there's not a real clear angle of attack for something like a chimera. Yeah, a um, buddy of mine in my playgroup, Avery, had the idea that the toughness seven annihilators might line up against chimera as well because a chimera can't uh, one shot kill them, uh, and you can have a bunch of them in your list, and then your opponent is in a position where do they basically if a if an annihilator gets to attack the chimera they also have really good dpa4 um, so if they're all over the place uh, the chimera can actually find itself with some no fly zones around the board um, we tested it out and a list that was specifically built to be anti-chimera uh, against my chimera nurgle list that was not necessarily built to be anti-stormcast at all um, on a treasure mission, which should be hard for the monster list, it felt really even. It ended in a draw. And so if you're going, like this was my first attempt, but it is a little worrying that a list specifically built to deal with the Chimera. Uh, I was also having a Knight Arcanum, which can bracket a Chimera from seven inches away. Um, mm -hmm. That a list specifically designed to deal with it still only felt about 50-50. Uh, that worried me a little bit, but you know, maybe I think people will figure out better ways to go anti-monster than uh, than that first draft. I think people right now, for example, are overvaluing nets against monsters. Um, it, it's good to pin one down, but unless you pin it in exactly the right space, it can still dominate a huge section of the board. Um, so you know, I don't know if that's necessarily the plan either. But uh, I do uh, have to say I, I got to run, guys. It's been great. Um, I could talk about list building all night. I love talking Warcry with everybody and uh, enjoy uh, the rest of the uh, of the show. And uh, well, we're going to well, we're going to tag in and introduce Dave. Then, how's it going, Dave? Hey, how's it going? You hear me? Yep. Yeah, <clears throat> we hear you great. We're about to wrap up, but we'll be talking about uh, upcoming events here uh, right after this. So you're just in time for that. But but wrapping up here, we, uh, we talked about, you know, your supporting cast in monster versus monster battles. Uh, you may want to build your list around, you know, nets to potentially like slow the monster down for a turn while your monster rampages. Um or something like that, or maybe have a, a monster killer to bracket something down. Um, again, I, I think if the if 
as the game evolves here, if monsters stay in the competitive environment, you're going to see people starting to try to adjust. Uh, I'm interested to see exactly, you know, what happens. And these supporting cast battles, you know, you could you could build your list around the game plan of I'm just going to have my monster go at their monster. They're just going to have their little Godzilla fight over here, like uh, this sweet picture you've shown. And then my entire idea is that my supporting cast is going to kill their supporting cast. Right. You could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, there's these monster net lists, right? Not net list is in uh, a net list, but lists with nets um these lists with nets the idea could be i'm going to try to lock down their monster while my my monster kills all their things um so i think that there's some really interesting uh back and forth to be had in and what you do with your supporting cast if you're interested in how these monster versus monster fights are going to play out uh and then one other thing I, i forgot to mention is you know if you're running a monster, you definitely have to pay a lot more attention into your abilities because Dragon Maul is very triple hungry. Um, It means you're probably not going to have triples to do things like lead from the back. So just keep that in mind as well. That uh, You're going to burn your wild die every turn. Like you're not going to be banking a wild die because you want a Dragon Maul. Yep. It's not Dragon Mauling every turn with the monster. You're you're not playing correctly is, is my opinion on it. (laughs) <laughs> I think I agree. But uh, yeah, that's what we had to talk about, you know, stats and list building. But uh, now we get to see it in action. So if you live in the central Ohio area, you are in luck because we got three events coming up, you know, near within an hour of the Dayton area. So first off, uh, as the time of recording, this is about a, a week from now. Uh, we're running our next organized play event at Epic Loot in Centerville, Ohio. Um, taking some lessons learned from the last time around, we'll be using, uh, the match play missions from the core book. Uh, we'll still have monsters allowed for this event. Uh, and then we'll have an event next month as well. Likely based on the results of what we see, I'll make the call there, but, uh, I'm giving people the warning now that there's likely for the store championship in December, there's likely to be a ban on monsters. And so we're gonna have to play some good, honest war cry. Uh, in December. Interesting. So I'm curious, uh, metagame wise, right? Because any any event page can also be a list building page, right? Mm-hmm. Is your local meta as Stormcast heavy as um, the meta at conventions has been? It it is not. We uh, we've okay. not seen no. We have not seen Stormcast. That's um, interesting. I, That's very relevant. Against Stormcast ever i don't think so yeah no one's no one's brought no one's ever brought stormcast we have um two or three corn players i think it's very okay. corn heavy corn yeah. mortals more more yeah, than demons, dan, dan dan has corn you have dan has corn mortals i have corn mortals not built or played but that's something i'm building towards um we had a couple we have one soul blight Gravelord player and someone else getting in. Uh, if he makes it, this if he makes it, he's going to get in on the ground floor with Soul Black Gravelords. Um, it's kind of yep, yep. Sylvanet, we've seen Sylvanet, we've seen Beast of Chaos. Um, I'll be if I'm playing as a as a 
is an extra. I'll be playing Untamed Beasts. That's interesting. And corn being known as the local corn guy or having multiple local corn guys, I think is kind of uh, cool because the way you beat a Blood Warrior heavy list is very different from the way you beat a Blood Reaver heavy list. So you could be known as I'm the local corn guy and you could be showing up like your opponents are still guessing. Right. Yes. Your yes. your local that, opponents. Yeah, because that. Yeah, because that faction is so wide. That's that's why I like it. Other people and I and I love just they're, they're such lovable idiots. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, looking for yeah, looking forward to this. Um, yeah, adding a little more formality to this one, and then so the week after we had three 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 weekends, three events in a row. So this isn't our event, but uh, our good friend Jolly up in Columbus is running a Warcry narrative event. Uh, nice. Links are links are here. It'll be in the description as well. Uh, and so it's going to be more of a, a narrative tournament. Uh, Typic, I, I took a glance at the uh, at the tournament pack. It's typical, you know, the missions are given for for the four rounds. Um, there's some narrative elements where you can you can earn some artifacts, um, and there's some special abilities your guys can get in some story that he's written for. It's some, it's some pretty cool stuff. Um, so it's not following the 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 core narrative rules like that narrative tournament at uh at nova yep. uh and, and no monsters but you, you show up and you can bring you can bring up a full war band other than monsters so you're not is you're it, not yeah is it like the um 1.0 fell nyroth tournament and that it, it's a narrative tournament but winning still like there's still a winner yes yes there's still right? yeah oh, there's cool, still yep cool. there's still a winner right you're still earning points towards an ultimate you know first second third place but your guys are but your guys can grow they can get renowned levels uh artifacts or you know some artifacts are in play and he's he's created and curated a, a list of of artifacts for that event but, I think uh, that yeah. middle ground place might be kind of the cutting it or like the future of, of Warcry. Try, or at least, you know, making an attempt to kind of bridge the narrative and competitive where both can be played for in a given tournament, I think is a, a really cool idea. I hope it works yeah. out well. Yeah, he ch check the uh, check the discord. He put it up for for comments in the discord uh, to is a kind of initial like, hey, what do you guys think about this? Kind of like a, get the community to kind of proof it a little bit. But uh, yeah, that's that's out there. It's it's out there and it's public. So yeah, uh, that'll be out. fun. That'll be fun. And then the week after, so we're coming down. So our our first organized play at Mavericks in Mason, Ohio. So we've met there a bunch of times to play. Uh, but there's a few. There's another pocket of of players down there closer to Cincinnati. Uh, and so we're gonna actually do the formal deal where we do the event. Uh, you know, got worked with the store, do, do the flyers and such. And uh, we, we're going to show up with multiple boards, see who we get here. And so yeah, it, really, as I say, really for Fred and I, this is this is our local store. Right. OK. <clears throat> yeah. So even though yeah, even though we're all Dayton War Cry Club, like they're Dayton War Cry Club South. Yeah. OK. It's a, it's a odd Dayton. The, the Dayton broader metropolitan area yes yep the dayton the dayton the dayton metroplex dayton, dayton natty i like to call yep. it and so this one so this will be a little bit less formal than what we're doing 
uh, since this is the first one, the, the first meetup we're kind of doing there, kind of do some informal pairings. Uh, the way we do this, uh, oftentimes, if you're brand new, never played the game, we'll, we'll lend you a warband. Uh, if you're an AOS player, just bring whatever. Uh, the rules are free online, right? You have the, you have all those resources. It's easy to learn. And I spend more time like answering questions, demoing, and and and, and coaching new players at, at these events. So I get a blast out of this, and then I make you know I might get one game, uh, uh, in at at an event like this. That's cool. Being able to go, hey, I'll lend you a warband is such an awesome way to run an event. I'm really looking forward to trying to do something like that in uh, the Twin Cities pretty soon. Yeah, the, the untamed, and again, the, I have those untamed beasts, and I mean, they're solid, but I also like them as an introductory warband. We had a, a, I brought a buddy of mine who'd never played Warcry ever um, to the last event, and he was actually playing, he was actually playing most of the time. He was, he was playing, and I was kind of like over his shoulder, be like, hey, think about this. And then I was off kind of doing something else and he played the first two turns of another game. And I, then, you know, he, he goes out and I tags me in and I'm surveying the board and I'm like, dang, you did a pretty good job. You're not in a bad spot here. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah, super friend, super newbie friendly game. Um, and Leia, looking forward to getting more people introduced. Now, the odds are if you're an AOS player and you have like a full AOS army, you probably have enough for not just your warband, but, you know, a buddy's warband. Mm-hmm. This brings us to a close for this episode of Dayton Warcry Club. We'll definitely be back to talk the outcome of all our events, plus possibly some short videos featuring certain lists we built and tested but one of the best places to see some of the latest lists we post and you get help with your new list is on the official Warcry Discord. A great community with a link in the description. And Dan has a community as well, potentially. Would you like to talk about that? Yeah, um, I've got a Patreon that uh, if you check out my YouTube channel, you can join and uh, join a Discord there. But uh, first, I'd say, you know, before you think about doing that, check out some of my videos. Um, the uh, last one I had before this was uh, on the the uh, meta of 2.0. I've got um, one coming soon, hopefully, on uh, the ins and outs of piloting monsters. Um, so, yeah, if you're into that kind of stuff, uh, check me out. I'm, I'm happy to uh, <laughs> do any kind of videos with uh, ideas that people kind of look at my videos and go, hey, here's what you should do next. I'm always uh, looking for more ideas. So get onto that channel and post a few comments. All right. Until next time, I'm War Machine. See you forever. And I'm Dan. Thank you so much. Yep. Thanks for listening. Hey Today there, guys. We... Good to be here. <laughs> I broke up your script already. You, I'm you, sorry. Yep, you did. <laughs> <laughs> this will make the outtakes. Ha, ha, ha.